Okay, well, welcome everybody. Uh, today, I'm actually at the Dr. Samuel Mudd house, and I'm here with Dorothea Bar- Barstow. 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 Yep. Uh, and I'm actually, this is going to be a little bit of a spoiler, but I'm really excited. <laughs> One of the items here is the actual sofa that Samuel used when um, Booth, the assassination, the assassinator of Lincoln, came in and got looked at. I'm sitting on the booth right now, or on the, that is the, on booth the sofa. Couch. It's actually the booth couch. That is and a- I'm sitting on it doing the interview. It's like literally the coolest thing I think I've done for my podcast so far. So <laughs> anyway, we're going to go backwards here. And um, why don't you tell us a little bit about the starting of the museum? Who even was this Samuel Doctor guy? And kind of give okay. us some history. Lay it down. All right. Samuel Doctor Guy. Dr. Mudd was born in 1833. Came from a large, wealthy family. Landed gentry. They've been here since 16-something. This land, all 200 acres, was a a wedding gift to Dr. and Mrs. Mudd from his father. Which is a wedding gift I would gladly accept. (laughs) I would not turn this down. No, I'd be happy to have it myself. He graduated from Georgetown. Um, I'm sorry, from Baltimore um, School of Medicine in 1857. Married his childhood sweetheart on Thanksgiving Day in 1857. Which is only two days away. Two days away. Happy anniversary, Sam and Sarah. The house was given to them with the 200-odd acres as a wedding gift. And his life and his bride's life started here. The house was already built when they got given the property for their wedding gift. The house was built actually in 1857. They moved in in 1859. Okay. They lived with her brother, Jerry, Jeremiah, um, until the house was finished. And this house has always been in the Mud family. No one else has ever lived here except for the Muds from the day it was built until about 1978 when it was turned into a museum. His granddaughter, Louise, was the one who was instrumental in turning the house into a museum. And that's probably one of the main reasons, like we said earlier, there are so many original historic pieces that belong to the the Mudd family, and it's because the house has always been in in the hands of the Mudds. Exactly. Almost everything you see in this house belonged to one generation or another of the Mudd family. There are pieces here, especially the pieces downstairs, that belonged to Dr. and Mrs. Samuel Mudd. And there are many, many other pieces around the house that belong to one generation or another of the Mudd Mudd family. And so I think a lot of people will probably know, you you know, who Sam Mudd was and why he's famous. But Mm -hmm. let's, for the sake of pretending, I guess, let's, what exactly was he famous for? Where did his name really come into play in history? Dr. Mudd is best known for attending to John Wilkes Booth the morning after the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. John Wilkes Booth showed up at this house about four in the morning with a broken leg, and Dr. Mudd set his leg. John stayed here until about five in the afternoon and then went on his way to through Zakai Swamp, and on his way through Virginia, 12 days later, of course, to his end 
in Port Royal, but this is what Dr. Mudd is most known for. And so there was a little bit of controversy, it sounds like, about if doctor if the doctor actually knew Booth beforehand yeah. or not. Yeah. Um, but it, he kind of got mixed in a little bit with everything that happened. Yeah, yeah. Most people know Dr. Mudd or think Dr. Mudd was the innocent country doctor that John Booth just showed up just showed up at this house randomly. Um, randomly at four in the morning. Dr. Mudd didn't have a sign outside that said Dr. Mudd. Um, John Booth and Dr. Mudd were acquainted. Dr. Uh, or I'm sorry, John Booth had been to this house prior to the morning of the assassination. So they knew each other. They had been introduced before. So John didn't get here by accident. That's not something that you read in the history books too much. Yeah. When I was growing up and learning about it, I never, it was yeah. definitely portrayed either. to me that mm-hmm. he had no idea. Exactly. And kind of as a refresher course for a lot of people who I'm sure have not forgotten, but let's just say maybe I have. What is the story of the assassination attempt of Booth or well of Lincoln from Booth? So I know originally there was a um, it was a kidnapping plan. Exactly. Exactly. John Booth came out here in the fall of 1864 looking for people who would be amenable to being part of the original plan, which was to kidnap Abraham Lincoln. He was looking for safe houses. The plan was to take Lincoln through Southern Maryland onto Richmond, Virginia, which we know is the capital of the Confederacy at that time. They were going to use Lincoln as a hostage, if you will, to have the Confederate prisoners of war released. Oh, I, I had I did not know yeah. that. If you let the prisoners of war, the Confederates, go, we'll give you back your president. Okay. So that the original was, plan was not an assassination. Right. The original plan was to have them released. For whatever reason. Didn't pan out. Didn't, yeah. Um, <laughs> that, it got much worse. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> a little off course there. Um, Dr. Mudd was one of those folks that they thought might be interested in being part of that. John was introduced to Dr. Mudd through an acquaintance named Dr. William Queen at Old St. Mary's Church, not too far from here. John spent the night here, actually, probably in the same bed that he Received slept in when, when, uh, when he came here to have his leg fixed. In all likelihood, Dr. Mudd was agreeable to that plot. And that's how these two... This plot has gotten very thick. <laughs> indeed. Yes, indeed. Um, so so that didn't work out. Um, but then we know that the next attempt did. And that was... Their, they only had the two, right? The failed kidnapping and then the actual assassination. Right. Were the same people part of both plots? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, two of the fellows that were part of the original plan to kidnap were the two childhood friends of John Booth, um, Sam Arnold and Michael O'Laughlin. When John started to talk about killing, they dropped out. It's like, no, we're not. They're two childhood friends. Right. Sam and Michael, they said, no, we're not going to, we're not going to die for you. We like you, but we're not going to die for you. They, of course, were arrested anyway. Just through association? mm -hmm, Yeah, they were sent to prison with, um, with Dr. Mudd. But um, the reason that it went from kidnapping to murder, of course, the they had stopped with the prisoner swap. Anyway, the war ended. Lee had surrendered to Grant. 
And when Lincoln made his speech from the White House balcony, he wanted to give citizenship and the right to vote to the United States colored troops. And Booth, being the virulent racist that he was, said, by God, that means Negro citizenship. Yeah. That's the last speech he'll ever make. Now I'll put him through. So it went from kidnapping to murder. Mm -hmm. And he actually, those plans didn't actually come to fruition until the morning of the 14th. When he was in town, he used to live at the National Hotel. He didn't have a home of his own when he was in D.C. He would stay at the National Hotel, where the old museum is now. And he would have his mail sent on to Ford's Theater. He went down to Ford's to pick up his mail. One of the Ford brothers said, hey, guess what? Abraham Lincoln and his lady are going to be here tonight. Not only that, but Ulysses Grant and Mrs. Grant are going to be here. So John is thinking, oh boy, now is my chance. Now is my chance to get them. Not only am I going to get Lincoln, but I'm going to get Grant as well. And so John was actually, he was an actor, Mm -hmm. right, Um, at the theater. Very famous. Traveled all over the South. Famous, charming, good-looking. He was everything. He had it all. He did. He had it all. He was considered the handsomest man in America. Wow. Oh, he was. He was very handsome. He was, a, he was everything. He was part of um, a very, very famous acting family. His father came over to the United States in 1822. He was a very famous actor in England. Um, his reputation preceded him before he came here. And he founded the Booth dynasty, his brother Edwin, became probably the most famous Shakespearean actor of his day. What? There's a statue of Edwin um, as Hamlet in New York City in Gramercy Park. Have you heard of the Players Club? Are you familiar with that? It was a, a club for actors, musicians, so on, in New York City that Edwin founded. Still there. You can still see it. So these guys were celebrities. Oh, very much. Very much. Kind of like the Barrymores of their time. Okay. Um, It's a beautiful, beautiful statue. As a matter of fact, if you Google um, Edwin Booth's voice, you can hear a recording. I'm going to find that and see if I can put it in the episode. Awesome. Um, He's reading from Othello. And it's really pretty amazing because if you think that this is a voice who argued politics with John Wilkes Booth across the kitchen table at breakfast, they said that John sounded a lot like his brother as well. Smooth talker. It's a beautiful voice. He has a beautiful, beautiful voice. Well, they were British, so he's got... You know, that British accent in there, it's lovely. They're very, very famous. And Edwin was a very um, elegant actor. John was the swashbuckler. You know, Edwin would walk onto the stage. John would leap. And, I mean, look at this guy. Again, he literally was considered the handsomest man in America. Mm-hmm. He could charm the birds out of the trees. His story was when he came here that he was looking to buy land 
and horses when he came here in the fall of 64. That's when he was introduced to Dr. Mudd. He went to the Gardner farm next door, and he did wind up buying a horse from the gardeners next door. And you'll hear about the one-eyed roan that was actually part used the night of the assassination. I believe it was the horse that Lewis Powell rode over to William Seward's house. But he bought the horse from the gardeners next door. And while the horse was being cleaned up and shooed, he was over there entertaining. He was doing Shakespeare readings and reading from plays. And people adored him. They adored him. Very charismatic. He wasn't like the insane, drooling, raving maniac. Can you imagine how Sarah felt? He had dinner here. This is a cute little story, too, that Sarah told. Um, Dr. Mudd and John, that later that morning, um, when he was here in 64, they walked across the field over to this November. It was a cold day. They walked across the field here to the gardeners to go look at horses. And um, when they came back, he threw his overcoat over one of the chairs in here. And a letter fell out of his pocket, fell on the floor. He didn't notice it or didn't care or whatever. He eventually left, and she found the letter on the floor. And um, she said it didn't have an envelope, but she didn't read that letter. (laughs) But it appeared to be from someone whose husband had found out that John was, you know, a little too fond of this little chickie, or she was too fond of him, or whatever. She was having an affair with John. But, you know, she didn't read it, so how would she know that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so she put it up on the mantle here, thinking that maybe he might want it. You know, he would come back for it. But he never did, so unfortunately she threw it in the fire. I know, my gosh, Sarah, good Lord. (laughs) Why? Oh, for heaven's sakes, why didn't you hang on to that? Okay. So, yeah. So we know, we kind of know from history what happens there. He ends up actually, well, assassinating the president who doesn't die until the next day. Right. And then he leaps from, was it a second story balcony? In yeah. The, in the, it's about 12 feet. Okay. He leapt from that. His spurs got caught? His spur got caught in the bunting that had decorated the balcony. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so he took a tumble. Didn't land he very did well. indeed. He did indeed. His spur got caught in the in the bunting. He landed off kilter, landed on the outside of his foot, they say. His ankle snapped. It was about two and a half, three inches above his left ankle. Small bone snapped, popped right in half. And then so out the back door, hops up on his horse, off he goes. Oh, see, I didn't know. I didn't actually know that he was on a horse for some reason. Oh, yeah. I was thinking that he was on foot when he made no. it to the house, no, and no. I was just astounded. No. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he rode up on horseback here, mm-hmm. got here to this house, mm-hmm. 4 o'clock, and then received the medical attention. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, we know that he was hunted down. He was here for about 12 hours. He left in the afternoon, left through Zakai Swamp. You can see the trail out through the farm here. It took 12 days for him to finally make it through Maryland, across the Potomac River, and into Virginia. He finally made it to Port Royal, and that's where he was eventually caught by the 16th New York and and killed. And I remember reading on the website uh, that 
he was in a barn. Yes. The barn was set on fire, and then he came. He was coming out of the barn, and then he was shot. And that's what he was shot in the barn. Oh, he was shot in the barn. He was shot in the barn. His accomplice, David Harold, surrendered. He came out of the barn. The 16th New York soldiers decided they were going to set the barn on fire and flush him out. One of the soldiers, Boston Corbett, could see him through the openings in the slats of the barn. They set the barn on fire. Boston could see him. John, remember, was on crutches. He had a crutch. He lifted his rifle. Boston said that it looked like he was getting ready to fire on the soldiers. He was shooting him to hurt him, not kill him. So, so it, he says it looked like Booth was lifting up a gun, but it lifting, was his crutch. It was no, he was lifting up his his gun. Oh, it, okay. Yeah, he was. He was lifting up his gun. He tipped over because he was on crutches. He was in pain. He was splinted. He had a broken leg. As Boston fired, it caught him in the back of the neck here, and it severed his spinal cord. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he was instantly paralyzed. He went down. The soldiers dragged him out, and they put him on the porch of the Garrett farm. And it took him several hours to die. I didn't know that either. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So, tragic end. Um, But coming back to what ends up happening to the poor Mudd family, basically, because... They injured this, they, they helped this injured man. Right. So, you know, Booth was upstairs. They set his broken leg, got wooden splints on, mm-hmm. um, and then he was gone. But that was only the beginning of what was going to happen to the Mud family. Right. Because of their involvement. Right. So what kind of happens there? Right. Dr. Mudd um, and David Harold, who is with John Booth during this time, go into town. John is up here sleeping. They go into town after breakfast. They're going to see if they can rent a buggy or a wagon or whatever to see if they can get something to get John out of here faster. To see if they can get him out of here because it's going to hold up everything. He's in pain. He's got a broken leg. They want out. They need to get him out of here. Were they, they rushing to get him out because they knew what was going on? Or was they well, were they saying that they were rushing him out just to get him better medical attention? No, they didn't care about his medical attention. They oh. wanted him out of here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they wanted to be out of here, too. John well, and, and David wanted to get out of here. They knew. Well, and going into town, there's no denying that you would have heard the news. Because that's all anyone would have been exactly. talking about. Yeah, no, exactly. Now, when John got here, remember, he, he being President Lincoln, wasn't dead yet. He got here at 4 o'clock in the morning. Lincoln didn't die until 7-ish, 7.22, I think the time was. Later on after breakfast, David Harold and um, and the doctor go into town, which was Bryan Town Tavern, up there, which actually still exists, to see if they can rent a wagon, a buggy, whatever. First, they stop at Dr. Mudd's father's house. Like, no, you can't because the next day is Easter Sunday, Big visiting day, all of these conveyances are spoken for. Sorry. They go into town. Mrs. Mudd has given Sam a little shopping list. I need matches. I need calico. Go pick it up for me at the store. That's the story. So they go into Bryantown. Soldiers starting to filter in. The word is out. Lincoln's been assassinated. David says, I need to get out of here. I'm going back to get him. He starts to come back to get John and beat feet. Sam sticks around to hear what's going on, he says. He finds out, he says, 
that Lincoln has been assassinated. He's listening to the news. He comes back. He says that he throws John and David out. David and John are probably already way on their way out. But he has to come up with a story. To kind of save his hide. Exactly. Because they are going to he knows he's him. in trouble. He knows he's in trouble. He comes back and tells his wife, look, I think those two strangers that are in our house had something to do with killing President Lincoln. I'm going to go back and tell the Union soldiers about these two guys. He kind of puts it all on Sarah. Sarah says, please don't do that. Please. Let's talk to Cousin George about it and see what Cousin George says. Now, Cousin George was also a physician. Dr. Mudd had apprenticed under Cousin George. He was older, wiser, he thought. Let's talk to Cousin George and see what Cousin George says about it. Okay, we'll do that. He talks to Cousin George at Mass the next day. Cousin George supposedly says, don't worry about it. I'll talk to the soldiers and let them know. Don't worry about it. So this is what Cousin George says. And in the meantime, David and John are long gone. They're long gone. But now the Union soldiers know that Sam is somehow involved in this, so they need to go talk to him. They come out here, they come to talk to Sam, and immediately they know that something not right about this story. So they talk to him, and they take him off to Bryantown to have him talk to him a little bit more. Something's just not sitting right. Oh, well, we didn't know who he was because... It was dark out, and he had a shawl wrapped around himself because it was cold and rainy that night, and he had a full beard and a big mustache, and didn't look like John Booth to me. I had no idea. Didn't know him. Well, he didn't grow a beard and a mustache from Ford's beard a year. So. And that's when things really that's started when, to get bad for right. the Mud family. Right. Did they immediately arrest him after they took him to the tavern? Not immediately, but... Not long after. Okay. So they came in and they arrested him and then they sent him off. And you said he wasn't sure? He had no idea what prison he was going to? That was after the trial. Oh, okay. that was after the trial. Okay, so... Now, they were tried by a military tribunal because it was considered an act of war. They considered it an act of war because even though the war... Even though Lee had surrendered and the war was, or the war was all but over, the president had never been assassinated before. So they considered that still an act of war. There were still pockets of fighting here and there. Well, and we were we were talking about this earlier and trying to like put yourself in the mindset of what must have been happening in the nation at this moment, because mm-hmm. like you just said, a president had never been assassinated before. The war was finally over, so people were celebrating in the streets. And there was just all this excitement going on. People were so relieved. And then out of nowhere, their president gets assassinated. And it's just complete chaos. It's just, And they're, they're looking, sure. they're just on a manhunt. They're just furious and they just want to take somebody out. And this is where they happen upon. Yep. So after the trial, they find him guilty. Mm-hmm. And so they ship him off to jail. He missed hanging by one vote. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. He missed hanging by one vote. There were four that were sent to prison, four that were hanged. Sam was sent to prison. Again, he missed hanging by one vote. Um, Ned Spangler, who we talked about earlier, who was the poor guy who was in the wrong place at the wrong time. He was just a childhood friend. Yeah, and basically. Had well, he was, yeah, he worked at Ford's Theater. His crime, supposedly, was that he blocked people 
from going out the back door, going after John Booth as he left the door out the back of the theater. Okay. That was his crime, supposedly. And I think he had a piece of rope in his in his belongings. So, of course, you're going to get somebody for that. And then the other two young men, Sam Arnold and Michael O'Loughlin, they were the childhood friends who were part of the original kidnapping plan. Those were the four who were sent to prison. The four who were hanged were Mary Surratt, um, who was the one who brought the package to the Surratt Tavern the morning of the assassination. First woman hanged. By the federal government. Yeah. Yeah. George Adsarat, whose job was to assassinate Andrew Johnson, the vice president, which he didn't do. Um, David Harold, who accompanied John Booth through southern Maryland across into Virginia. And Lewis Powell, whose job was to assassinate William Seward, who was the secretary of state. Who also failed. Yes. Where did these four end up getting sent? They They all went to the Dry Tortugas. They all went to Fort Jefferson. Dry Tortugas, which is off the coast. It's in the key, the Florida Florida Keys. Keys. Mm -hmm. So it's off the coast of Key West. It's about 70 miles off the coast of Key West. So he gets sent to the Dry Tortugas. Mm -hmm. And what's happening at home in this house? They're suffering. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Uh, you know, that's the best way to put it. Emancipation (laughs) has happened. There's no one to work the fields. Okay, they had to, their main income was tobacco fields, exactly. and they did have slaves that ran the, that worked the exactly. tobacco fields. Most of the men had already left because of emancipation. They all went to Washington. How many slaves were there here? There were between nine and eleven, depending. Now, Doctor Mudd's father was one of the larger slaveholders in the area, so slaves kind of came and went depending on what was going on on the farm at any given time. And you, they leased out slaves, exactly. and things like that, borrowed them, and then exactly some of the the female slaves, Letty and Louisa, that we talked about earlier, they stayed on as paid servants, but because there was no one to work the tobacco, to make the money, was a vicious circle. They couldn't make the money to pay the workers to come back and work the fields mm-hmm. and so on and so on. And they didn't have Dr. Mudd because he was in prison, so they exactly. weren't making any anything exactly. here. And they had four children at this time? Right. And during the trials, Miss Mudd and their four children, the two servants, were all locked in upstairs right. because they weren't sure what they were going to do with exactly. them. And then, so, I mean, we're really lucky, honestly, that some of the these pieces, because you said she sold off pieces. She did have to sell off some of the pieces. Just um, to try to feed everybody. To try to take care of the family, yeah. But now, they both came from large families, so they did all take care of each other. They weren't destitute in the sense that they were out in the streets. They both had um, large families, so they all basically took care of each other. And remember, everybody was in the same boat. You know, yeah. everybody owned slaves. Everybody didn't have slaves anymore. So they all took care of each other. And so how long did Samuel spend in prison? He was in prison three years and eight months. And during that time, he did a lot of woodworking? He did. He took up woodworking to keep himself busy. And you have some of the pieces here right this next to us. This is one of them, yes. One of my favorite pieces. The inlay on the front is really pretty. Oh, the detail on the front is really nice. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. So he's doing all this woodworking in prison. He gets out three years, eight months later, mm-hmm. and then he comes home. They have a few more kids and try to yeah. conti- continue on. Yep. 
The first baby that they had after Sam came home was Henry, and Henry only lived about eight months. And they had four more after that. So quite a full house. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which was really the tradition back yes, in those days was. anyways. So. They were very Catholic. People like to laugh about them. And so then, you know, those kids have kids and we have more kids. So you have this entire family line yes. that lived in this house. And that's one of the things that's really interesting about this place is it's very historic to the Lincoln assassination and Dr. Mudd. But it's also a living it's a living museum where people have lived in this until very, very recently. Actually, there's someone that still lives here, isn't there? Our caretaker is um, third cousin, I believe, Henry Mudd. Yes. So there's still a Mudd yes. in the house to this day. There were 33 grandchildren that came from the kids that were born in this house. And now there are over 800 descendants of Dr. Mudd's. The house was occupied until 1978, 79. And something. And it's a living, breathing home. And I do believe that that's the one thing that has always set this house apart from all of the other small museums, small home museums from any era, is that this place has always been and still retains the flavor, I think, of home. We have kids' toys. We have little bits and pieces. You know, this is original. That is from this family, that era, so on and so on. We have documentation of where the curtains came from, and Grandma said that belonged in that corner, and so on and so on. So it, it still has the flavor, to me, of being a family home, and I, I think that's what really sets this place apart. And one of the things that's really cool that kind of brings together this massive family tree uh, is this really, really cool quilt that you guys have here. Oh, our quilt, yes. So tell us about this quilt. Oh, that's a beauty. That's one of, that was one of those pieces that just really came to us by accident. It came with a phone call from a lovely lady named Sandy Wilds who said, hey, we have the yellow quilt, and my mother wanted you to have it. Do you want it? And we didn't know what she was talking about, but we said, yes, we'd love to have that. <laughs> sure, yes. Sure, we'll take that. And she actually brought it over that afternoon, and Emily Mudd was one of the doctor's granddaughters, and she had sent out these little pieces of muslin to her female relatives and friends. She and was a teacher. To people who might not know what that is. It's a material, just a plain material. Ask them to write their names and where they lived on it and return them to her. Her sister Cecilia embroidered over the signatures and then they were incorporated into a friendship quilt. And they brought the quilt back to us and it's now on Dr. Mudd's bed so we have the signatures of a couple of his daughters, some daughter-in-laws, some granddaughters, a great-granddaughter here and there, friends, family. It's, it's a beautiful piece. And it's, it's completely handmade. It's a wonderful piece. It is all hand-stitched, all handmade. When was the quilt made? That was made, I believe it's dated to 1935-36. So it's a little bit later than like a typical museum piece, but it's not a typical museum piece because it's an accumulation of all exactly. of the history of this house. Exactly. And that's, again, one of those things where it doesn't date to 1865, and it's not necessarily a Dr. Mudd era piece, 
But it's a family piece. And, and there's Dr. Mudd's relatives. His daughter-in-law is there. His granddaughter is on there. One of his daughters is on there. So it may not date to 1865, but it's certainly a Dr. Mudd era piece. And it, it's just... It's just as precious to us as, well, maybe not as much as the booth couch, but... Which I'm sitting on, uh, by the Which way. she's sitting on, everybody. <laughs> that is it. That's the booth couch. The perks of this podcast. The, you know, <laughs> that's also the perks of, of being able to work here. <laughs> we get to sit on that. But, um, yeah, so it, that's one of those pieces that has a different story to tell, but a, a wonderful family story just the same. Mm-hmm. And I was really impressed because you guys have so many things that you not only just do with the museum, but even online, you know, because we have this COVID business that's been happening. And so before I came, I went on your website and there's this amazing virtual tour that I suggest everyone goes and looks. Yeah, and wonderful. I mean, it's it's really amazing, and you can see pictures of everything that we've talked about. You can see descriptions. It's literally a, a, just a tour right through the house, and so even if you can't come here, it's a wonderful Thanks. way to still see what we're talking about and get a, an idea of what's going on in here. Oh, thank you. That's and, our president, Bob Bowser, who is so awesome. We are so so lucky to have him. That's wonderful. He is. And there's even outside. There's a lot to look at. It's not just inside the house. You actually have some placards that show. Um, the, the trail that mm-hmm. John Booth, or that, you know, he yep. actually took to leave. Yep. That's a walking trail. Bob is also responsible for that. He'll take you right up to the swamp and show you the whole trail. Who stopped where and said what and did this and that. And yep. And you can see there's the, the old hen house. There's oh, yeah. an old, is it a carriage barn? Yep. We have the, the old buggy barn out there. The, um, dairy barn is out there. We're in the process now of making some changes to a few of the old buildings and looking to reinterpret some of those buildings to what they would have been used for in the time of Dr. Mudd. So we're, you know, COVID has kind of put the, the kibosh on everybody's lives, but we're trying to make good use of the, of the time that we have to reinterpret and change some things around here. So I think that by the time we're ready to open, hopefully in the spring, that we'll have some uh, exciting new changes around here. Great. um, This was originally gifted with 200 acres of property. About 218 acres. 218. And you guys still have all of that. Pretty much. Mm -hmm. And now, I mean, it will never have buildings built on it. It will always be the farm that it was. Mm -hmm. Which is really astounding. We're completely blessed, yes. Uh, it was a lot of hard work. Um, Dr. Mudd's granddaughter, Louise Mudd Earhart, is the one that's responsible for all of this work. And from what I understand, I never had the pleasure, but from what I understand, Louise was quite a pip. And um, I've been told more than once that Louise would have thrown me out the front door. the more paperwork that i go through and the more i study about her and the work that she did i have nothing but respect for this lady she never gave up she never gave up and god bless her she would argue with anybody (laughs) that's my kind of lady (laughs) oh i'm telling you she worked herself to the bone i have nothing but admiration for this gal. Well, I mean, she, that's why we have what we have here with the house and the property and all of the pieces and the history. This is, this is Louise's monument. 
truly. Grandpa told her to turn this house into a museum, and by golly. She did it. <laughs> she did it. <laughs> she did it. Well, I'm going to post... Uh, I'm going to post this episode, and then on my personal website, I'm going to put all the pictures. Oh, cool. I'm going to put links um, awesome. to so people can go on there and look at the virtual tour, because I, I'm, I'm seriously impressed oh, by your guys' virtual, oh, virtual tour. Thank you. And do you have a Facebook page? Yeah, it's all okay. there. So I'm going to put a link to all those. Um, follow and support. And I really, really have enjoyed my time oh, here. Oh, I'm you did. I really, we were happy to have you. Yeah, it was wonderful. I love showing this place off. For good reason. <laughs> so thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Yeah, this is, no. it was my pleasure. This was awesome. I'm so excited. I'm really excited about this episode. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs>